Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and reviews straight from the heart of Park City, Utah. Uh, we, oh, I'm Erin, that's Ann. Hi. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. You can also find us every Monday morning from 6 to 6.30 uh, on bff.fm. We are uh, sitting at a rando hotel in uh, Park City, Utah with someone we've wanted to have on this show for like two years. Um, <laughs> and we made it happen in 2020. Her name's Ruby Ibarra. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you both for having me. Yeah, out of all places, who would have thought it would be Utah? It's okay. In the middle of winter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you're a busy lady, so um, it's, uh, this is a treat. So thank you so much for your time. Um, we met you back at the Cam Film Festival in 2018, I believe. That was yep. two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you had a documentary there. We were really lucky to host the Q&A. Um, but for people who don't know who you are, can you please give your origin story? So, um, yeah, my name is Ruby Yabara. I'm a rapper, um, first and foremost. And outside of that, I've also done spoken word, um, some production and music. And I've also delved in directing my own music videos, especially with this last project. And um, that's actually why I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be speaking on it more later on. But that's one part of the reason why I'm here at Sundance. Um, um, I do have interests in, you know, film as well and, you know, seeing where, how else I can expand my storytelling, um, you know, um, visiting or exploring other um, forms of, of media has always been an interest of mine and um, something I'd, I've wanted to tackle. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a rapper from the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, I, I've been emceeing for, or writing as long as I could probably, like, write out my name, um, but... I think I really took on rapping specifically as a hobby when I was in high school. Um, and it was a time where, you know, obviously the people that I listened to growing up, um, I felt didn't really reflect um, the life that I was living. And so it was my own way of capturing it kind of in a, instead of a, you know, your standard journal format, I was writing them in raps in a, in a notebook, like in the back of my class. Um, and I think a lot of that, too, is due to the fact that I grew up listening to a lot of hip-hop. Mm -hmm. So my family and I migrated from the Philippines to the U.S. Um, in the 90s. And um, we moved directly to the Bay Area, um, which has always been home for me. And I was lucky that it was the Bay Area out of all places um, that, that we ended up moving to because, as, as, we, as we all know, you know, it's, it's really a community there that is so rich in culture um, and so rich in music as well. So I, I definitely grew up listening to a lot of Pac. I grew up listening to a lot of Hyro. So that was, you know, my soundtrack yeah. um, in what I would call my formative years, like being a child and knowing who Ice Cube and Snoop Dogg was like, you know, the West Coast rap was um, still booming at that time. And um, eventually I got introduced to artists like Wu-Tang and Lauryn Hill. Um, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, I tell people all the time, um, certainly changed, you know, um, my life and was absolutely vital for me as a as a woman of color in, in my teenage years and coming into my own womanhood. Um, that was the album that really allowed me to keep my sanity and also find a voice um, you know by being a, a woman of color and he hearing someone like Ro Lauren Hill just sing and rap with so much emotion and truth um, I think that was the album that shifted the way I I, I, I saw poetry um, and that's I think 
specifically Miss Education of Lauren Hill is the first time where I saw that you know music can really have an impact and you can really um, have a lot of substance and it's it's beyond melodies and you know you can really touch people's lives um, with, with with your writing um, so you know coupled with the fact that I grew up in the Bay I had my Filipino roots and um, I was raised on a lot of hip-hop both Bay Area and you know up rappers from outside um, I think all of that eventually led to me not only just writing poetry but transitioning into recorded um, raps in my bedroom I remember when I was um, freshman year of my high school I was saving up my lunch money I think for a good four months I ate chips and um, flavored water <laughs> <laughs> I do that it by choice <laughs> not just by saving yeah Sundance diet but, but by taste it was good <laughs> no but I was saving a lot of my lunch money and eventually I, 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 was, I saved it like a hundred bucks to be able to buy a, a dynamic microphone from like my local radio shack and I plugged it into my computer and that was the very first time you know I heard myself recorded and just from then on it was a lot of um, doing this work independently and I'm, I've just been very grateful that I've also been able to connect with um, people like Beat Rock Music that have helped me to um, connect to bigger resources that allow me to you know have a more refined recording and like really find I think my voice and my artistry as well. Yeah, I, 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 I have way too much to respond to with that, but like, <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew right away, I was like, I'm going to have Ange take the next one, because yeah. I know. I mean, we're sharing a mic, but she handed it over to me once yeah. you started talking about who influenced you growing up, and obviously Tupac, uh, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, obviously integral uh, growing up listening to, but I felt the same way. I mean, I remember Foxy Brown has one line. She says, now we on the rise, you down the mommy with the slanted eyes, and I was like, what? <laughs> that was the first time I ever heard any sort of Asian reference mm -hmm. or anything, and that was as close as I can get to relate to a, a female MC. And, um, you know, Aaron and I have seen you at different shows all around the Bay, but it wasn't until you were performing at the Mac, uh, Mac G, the, yeah, uh, the Apple store. At the Apple store in downtown San Francisco. So it was during the day, so it was all ages. Mm -hmm. And I saw little girls in the front row rapping alongside you. They knew every word to every, every song. And that, it gives me chills. I get emotional even thinking about it because I was like, if I saw someone that looked like me rapping the way you do with your message, like that's so empowering and it gives me so much hope for our future and for immigrant families that, that grew up seeing themselves reflected you know, in their own heroes. Thank so that, you. Was, that was a really powerful moment for me, so thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, what I wanted to ask was, um, did you always know that your message was gonna be socially conscious? Like, what, you know, because your music is not only good, I mean, the beats, the, the, the flow, but you, you have this message and, and a lot of artists stray away from that, you know, and are, are afraid of that being divisive. But uh, did you always know that you had a deeper message other than I love rapping and, and I want this to be my art? So I forgot to mention earlier, um, the very first rap artist I ever heard in my life was actually this Filipino rapper named Francis Magalona, um, who was a very socially conscious rapper. Um, I like to think that, you know, subconsciously, since that was planted in my head at, at an early age, that things would kind of come full circle as I started doing this more professionally and it would happen to be the things I talked about. 
um, like the, the very first song I heard was called Mga Kababayan and it was basically talking about colorism and addressing like, you know, we should embrace having brown skin and um, challenge, basically challenging the way that people think. And to be honest, at that age, at five years old, listening to that probably went from one ear out the other and I just listened to the beats. But revisiting that um, throughout my teenage years and even until now, it's like, wow, these are the things, exactly the same things that I, I like to talk about and um, what I want to um, stress in, in my music and I think that it was probably when I was in college and I took Asian American studies where I realized that I need yeah having music that speak uh, they're very personal um, in my lyrics are important but if I'm also doing it in a way where I make people that listen to it feel seen I think that gives it another level of not only um, some intimacy in it, but also I think there's a bigger purpose and message in my platform. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I just want to make sure that I'm not here just to rap about nothing. Because I, I, I recognize that having a platform, even as small as performing on a stage at a local school, that's still a platform. And you have, like what you mentioned, it could be little girls in the front row listening to you. And if, if, if I am giving that platform, I should be saying something important or saying something that could help them, you know, challenge the way that they think. And especially if it allows them to see themselves, then I feel that that's, that's my ultimate goal as an artist. I was going to say, that's, that's kind of the real artist though, right? Because a lot of, especially, well, I, I guess hip hop, um, all kinds of genres of music and in film, any kind of art, there are people that are sellouts and they're going to... Um, they're going to talk about things that maybe aren't relatable, but then there's people like you that talk about things that are truly relatable, especially to brown women. Um, I wanted to get into actually why you're here at Sundance. Um, Ange and I were really lucky to see um, the film A Thousand Cuts, and um, you were a part of that film with your music, and um, the backstory to that is, is that the filmmaker knew about you, but you both were in the Philippines at the same time. So um, because I follow you on social media, I knew you were in the Philippines. How, how was that trip? Do you go there often and perform? So um, I've actually been going back to the Philippines pretty often ever since Circa 91 dropped. Um, I've just been very blessed to be able to not only share the music out here, but bring it, bringing it back to the homeland too. And it was particularly special for me when I got to bring not only the music, but my band with me um, last March to really give the people there, you know, the full experience of the show. And little did we know, like one of the, the things that we booked was performing at Rappler's offices um, because they do this thing where they invite musicians over to perform live, like a, a set of three songs. And while I was rapping like the second verse of the last song that we were doing, you know, Maria Ressa walks in and so does Miss um, Ramona Diaz and the, the rest of their film crew. And um, I, I wasn't aware of the, at the time that they were filming this documentary for A Thousand Cuts, which just premiered last night here at Sundance. Um, so that was my initial meet, meeting with them. And then a couple months later, um, which was actually just last November, around Thanksgiving time, Ramon and her team um, emailed me and they said that they were possibly interested in using the song Us for the documentary. Um, so they were initially looking at that and then Fast forward another couple of weeks uh, around Christmas week, um, Ramona brought up the idea like, hey, what, what, what if you came up with an original song <laughs> yeah. um, 
for for the for the movie and no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I was I was kind of nervous. I'm like, oh wait, when's the deadline? They're like as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, sure, no problem. Like, I can skip I, Christmas and New Year. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I was totally down to do it, and I was very excited. Um, just knowing the impact that this documentary would have on our community and the importance of it too. Of the, you know the things that they talk about with uh, the war on drugs and. Um, Duterte's dictatorship that's going on right now in the Philippines and just knowing that Maria Ressa was you know tied to this doc too and she for me has been for like the definition of a resilient strong iconic heroic Penai and I just see her when I see her I think of someone just absolutely fearless and using her line of work to you know sacrifice for freedom of uh, speech uh, freedom of press and those are things that I believe in it too so I absolutely wanted to be part of it and support it in any way that I could and I'm just I don't I don't know how this happened but <laughs> I'm humbled that they chose to have my song in the end credits of a thousand cuts so if you guys um, have the opportunity to watch it I would highly recommend that you know people watch this film I think it's especially it's an, it's an important um, piece of film that is very relevant wherever you wherever you live yeah, and I think, uh, again, I have way too many things to comment on, but, and I think at the same time, uh, in, in America, you know, we're facing a similar sort of president, and we've spoken to this in our interview, but I think it, it kind of makes, it gives us um, more pride in, like, okay, we at least can speak out, and we at least, but what Maria's doing, like, they're oppressed way more, in, in the Philippines on a different level. Mm -hmm. Like, her just speaking out means her life is on the line. You know, yeah. we can walk down the street and talk about our president all we want without that fear. So that's just what makes her just even a bigger superhero. But I do want to say that Aaron and I hold you up on a pedestal too, Ruby, because you're a fighter and you're, you're a warrior and we love your message. And I feel like there's kind of some something special that happens when you find your path, what you're meant to be doing in life. And that's why what you're doing has led you to Maria Ressa and Ramona De uh, and uh, you know, who knows where you're, where you're gonna come from here. It's just like taking over the world slowly. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. Like we were sitting at that table with just such powerful women and it's like, it just feels really good and, 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 and gives us hope. Um, I, I did wanna uh, rewind a little bit to when you started performing. Um, you're a woman of color, and I don't know if initially when you were starting to write your lyrics and to perform, you were um, performing in Tagalog then, but can you talk about those experiences, either negative, positively, because um, I think as a, w a woman in hip-hop, it's already difficult, so um, if you can talk about maybe your experiences starting out, and maybe up through now. So uh, um, I'll comment on using Tagalog and um, Filipino dialects first in music. Um, it's always something that I've incorporated in my raps. Um, back when I was starting out, I actually used to do a lot of ciphers. Um, and I was heavily involved you know, in the underground movement in the Bay Area, underground hip hop. And I would you know, include it in my raps. Because I, I tell people all the time, you know, Tagalog is such a percussive um, dialect. And it sounds so perfect when it's married with you know, the rhymes and the beats. Um, but it wasn't until I was writing Circa 91 where I, I truly found, you know, a language as a tool even. And I, I realized that if I'm going to be writing about immigration, if I'm going to be writing about being a person of color, I can't have that conversation without talking about language as well. Yeah. Um, I know that you guys um, are aware of it, but growing up in the Bay Area, 
um, you know, we come from a community where you hear so many different languages, whether it's Spanish, Vietnamese, Chinese, Tagalog, it's all around us. And I felt that that was integral to be able to tell my immigrant story. You know, language is part of the culture. It's part of, um, it's how our ancestors told their stories, you know, through their own dialects. So um, for me, that's why I wanted to incorporate that in, in the music. And just being a woman of color in hip hop, there obviously has been a lot of challenges, I think, primarily with getting into certain doors and getting certain opportunities. You know, when we see, uh, since it's like festival seasons coming up, when we see lineups like Coachella, it's still yep. obviously like, where's the woman on this lineup? I mean, they'll have one token woman in the yeah. lineup, but she's not, like, she won't have the big um, lettering and the names on the flyer. And I think that's something that we still need to challenge, especially, I, I would say, people who are gatekeepers um, in, in the industry, people who have the power to curate lineups or curate shows. I think it's our responsibility to um, make them diverse, make them inclusive, and make sure that, you know, we are expanding the voices that are heard. Yeah. I, I don't want to hog the mic, but... Um we had an Asian American roundtable um, yesterday, a filmmaker roundtable, and I had talked about gatekeeping because I don't do. You, are you familiar with H.P. Mendoza, the yeah. filmmaker? Um, so we had him on the podcast a few years ago too, and we had like a bottle of Jameson. It was like two hours of talking, <laughs> but he talked about the gatekeepers, and he was like, "So if we can't get through, we should be our own gatekeepers." Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're kind of a part of that new gatekeeper process do you feel like that's that's what we're doing as Asian Americans and what you're doing at this point in your life I was just actually at a, a CAMS panel before coming here oh. <laughs> oh. Topical. <laughs> they also <laughs> talked about gatekeepers, and one of the panelists actually said something along the lines of I'm sorry if I'm misquoting but she says something along the lines of we can't make something about us if it's not by us and um, I think that's an important thing to always have in the back of our heads, especially where right now in Hollywood we're seeing, you know, this rise in Asian, what people call Asian representation, but I think it's still um, fairly limited. Um, we're seeing a lot more East Asian faces and, you know, I'm, I'm celebrating, I'm 100% on that, but I feel like there's still a lot of people that need to be included in that conversation as well. Um, and basically, I think that it, it is important for if we, if we're in the position, if us as Asian Americans are in the position to be able to bring other people who look like us into these spaces, into these you know certain opportunities, and um, we should by all means like bring each other up because that's the only way we'll be able to get through the door by right. using each other's resources. And um, I tell people all the time too. Um, that's why I think that mentorship is also important especially in the in the industry and especially in the arts and music um, I think that that's something that's often overlooked but something so important and so pivotal and you know helping jumpstart other people's careers and just having us as a community rise together yeah um, so we're here at Sundance it's only January of 2020 and I think that you probably have a big year coming up do you want to talk about some of your projects so whatever, whatever you can talk okay. about. How about I'll say <laughs> the that. ones I can speak about. Yes. <laughs> um, I so I'm releasing my sophomore album. Um, I'm hoping around summer of this year. Um, don't quote me on it yet. Okay. Um, until I release the official date. Okay. Um, but it'll be out this year for sure. Um, I'm also working on a couple more music videos from the last album. And like I mentioned earlier, I I do have a lot of interest in filmmaking. So I also. Since the inception of the album, I've always wanted to create 
um, essentially a film version of Circa 91. So I'm still in the process of writing um, and turning Circa 91 into more of a visual video, so like a 10 to 15 minute long um, adaptation of the album. So that's also in the works. And a few other writing projects that I can't speak on yet. And um, some other film projects that I can't speak on yet, but they'll be out soon. Can we talk about the, are, are you still working like a day job? Can we talk about that a little bit? Oh, we yeah. don't have to say what you do, because I know it's like something in science and I don't understand. <laughs> um, so I don't want to bore you. <laughs> uh, anyways. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Ange and I here have other jobs. I have a full-time day job, but Bitch Talk has been, um, it's, it's more than a passion project. It's, it's a movement, really. Um, and I know that you also have a day job. I don't know how. Um, and also are this huge rising star in the hip-hop scene. How do you do it? <laughs> and is there a point, at some point, are you thinking of, okay, I'm just going to go, I'm going full-time? with hip-hop and, and being creative? As artists, as creatives, everyone is a hustler. Um, I've met so many other people. I'm, not, I'm certainly not the only one who still has a day job that's also trying to make it in hip-hop. Um, you know, and I think it, it just comes with the field, like, you know, that hustle mentality. Um, like, at the end of the day, I'm doing this day job to also um, put capital and put resources towards my music. Yeah. And that's helping me, um, you know, take it, take it to the next level um, and, and that's part of the reason why I've always kept my, my day job um, but to answer your second question I am hoping I've, I've told people already actually that I am hoping to do this full-time um, I'm actually engaged right now too so I also have a wedding Me too. <laughs> at the end of this year Me too. <laughs> yeah yeah if you need an efficient I, I'm very affordable <laughs> yeah. she's, we'll, she's we'll talk after <laughs> she's gonna be my efficient for oh, my wedding what? yeah <laughs> for real bitch talk wedding yeah <laughs> scary yeah, or maybe you can come to our wedding or our wedding, her wedding, and we can you can see my style and yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's I know. exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Congratulations <laughs> on your wedding. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like we're married, for better or for worse, right? But so. But yeah, I mentioned that because um, my partner has been so supportive out of throughout all of this. And like I, I've had this conversation too with other people like Rocky, Faith, and Classy, and um, what we've all come to learn is that we don't do this, we're not doing this by ourselves. We're able to have these jobs and do our artistry at the same time because we have you know, the support system around us, whether it's our partner or our family that's um, you know, helping us and make it on a daily, ba daily basis. And um, my partner's been so supportive that he put me on his um, insurance like the, the start of this year. So he's like, you can quit your job anytime, like you're covered. I'm like, oh my God, why? Like, I love you. <laughs> right, right. So, but, um, yeah, he's been absolutely amazing. And um, I do plan, I think, probably when I release a sophomore album to just go in it 100%. Yeah. Because I can't help but think if I've been doing this with, with one foot in and one foot out the door, yeah. I can only imagine the possibilities if I just, like, fully dive in. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, um, excites me. And I, there's still so many, so many projects that I want to take on and so many more stories that I want to tell. And I feel like the biggest challenge with having a day job and doing my art artistry is finding time, yep. finding that balance. 
And um, there's been so many times where I've had to make the sacrifice of, or making the option of, um, or choosing the option like, should I do this or should I go to work today because I don't have any more PTO, PTO hours left. And like I turned down South by last year just because I was negative already and I couldn't take any more days yeah. off. I'm like, no, like I'm kicking myself. So just things like that. And I don't want to be put in those positions again where I don't want to put, you know, my dreams and the things I'm passionate about on the back burner. Yeah. I don't want to end, but we should. Um, Ruby Ibarra, thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. I'm so glad this happened, 2020. It's gonna, thank you both it's the so year. much. <laughs> and when your new album comes out, let's have you back on and we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks. That was our interview with um, one of our favorite people in the world, Ruby Ibarra. Finally. Finally. Patience is a virtue and of it all is. times it had it's like she's a local she's she's a bay area local and you guys get to chat with her in the middle of sundance right 10 hours away from here a 10 hour drive from here yeah it was perfect and you know i mean during the day she's doing shit with dna and then at night she's writing rhymes and like i don't know master of the universe <laughs> it's totally fine mm -hmm. <laughs> and we got to interview her twice in one day so that oh, was oh right nice. right right yeah Duh. i haven't had a chance to listen yet i'm bummed i wasn't able to go but i was pulled away i was i was i, I was pulled elsewhere per the huge uh <laughs> we just had to go different we had to go our separate ways um <laughs> is that a song um but i, I do want to mention that when we interviewed ruby we only learned an hour or two before that Kobe Bryant had passed away mm -hmm. and it was one of those things where um, it was just it was a lot to handle and in a very short amount of time especially Ange is was a, a huge 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 Kobe fan huge huge and um, she found out before any of us we were in a lift lounge and she just started saying oh my god oh my god oh my god before anyone else in that room knew and so we my went, friends in LA. Yeah, <laughs> we went. Top of it. Yeah. We went from that to interviewing Ruby, and had no idea until after the interview, and because we didn't even talk about it before, we just didn't think about even bringing it up because we've been wanting Ruby on the mic forever. Well, yeah, I didn't want to take time out of her interview because we have so much to say to her. Right. But I also, you know, she's from the Bay, and everybody in the Bay hates LA teams and LA for that matter. So I was just like, oh, I'm not gonna. Also, she might not even be a Laker fan, so whatever. And then we find out. Yeah. And then right after the interview, she's like, did you guys find, hear that Kobe died? Yeah. And she was all upset about it. She was yeah. a big fan, too. So Yeah. You guys had a moment, mm -hmm. which was nice. But we had lots of moments. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I think there, Ange was looking at Ruby, like how she looked at one of the directors from Empty, Empty, no, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, <laughs> which you'll no, hear at some point That soon. was a different look. No, but still lovingly. But it is true that kind of halfway through the Ruby interview, I think it was real overwhelmed. One because of the Kobe thing, but yes. also because she's just so dope. I just kind of stopped asking yeah. questions. And so I was I like, just like, okay. I just wanted to listen, and then I just, yeah, Aaron. Yeah. Thankfully, you were, you you know had an an abundance of questions, but I just kind of like stopped after a while and just enjoyed listening to her talk. Yeah, she's <laughs> amazing. Well, our. Uh, our amazing social media producers, Shoshana, That's right. like didn't know much about Ruby at all. And that was the first thing she came to me. I was like, so how'd that interview go? And she was like, oh, it was completely inspiring. She was so into it. She was so glad that she was able to be there for it and stuff. So that's yeah. cool. Shoshana's yeah. going to start listening now. Yeah. She's going to be the, the number one fan. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have a tall white girl in our hey. way in the concerts. <laughs> well, she'll have to Blocking stand in back. View. She needs to stand in back. But um, we hope you enjoyed Ruby's interview. If you don't know her, check her out. She's 
she's a force. She's, she's so smart. Yeah. And thoughtful and just. She's, a, she's another one where you're real. just sitting there like, dang. She was, and we'll hear more from her too from one of our other interviews on the Festival Daily Buzz. Yeah, the reason why she was at Sundance was uh, she has a song and a documentary called A Thousand Cuts, which Angie and I um, really enjoyed. Um, it kind of harkened back to another interview I did a few months ago um, about the film The Kingmaker, um, where it's this time it's really involved with the presidency, well, the rise of du, I always say it Duterte. Wrong, Duterte. Duterte. I want to say Duarte. Duterte. Um, it was really interesting. It's two hours of really great footage and a great story. But so Ruby has a song in that. And then um, then we had our own personal Ruby interview. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we got to have her for 10 minutes with uh, Ramona. And yes. then after that, the director. the director of A Thousand Cuts, which you'll hear on a later date. And then you guys, that same day, three hours later, you yep. guys were. 23-24 minute interview with Ruby Ibarra which is awesome so, so we hope you enjoyed that um, in the meantime you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com you can also find us every Monday morning from 6 to 6.30 on bff.fm we are powered by GoTo Productions bitch please <laughs> <laughs> oh you like the quiet boy, yo, yo, yo.